0: It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. Not
2: Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. It's like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. i transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets so. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. We're not going to waste any time. We'll just pick back up where we left off last week. That means we're talking Texas defense and a spring game recap and looking ahead to the NFL draft. Do that all on this week's episode of the Blitz. Before we get going, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for enjoying another edition of the Blitz. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns twenty four seven. That's Horns two four seven. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click the follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the Drop Machine Extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh just at one of those times of year, just draft week and baseball and basketball transfer portal, just trying to trying to keep my head above water. <laughs> uh, a man who has no problem with that. He can handle a lot uh, and talk about a lot. He is a renaissance man. Uh, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers.
3: Appreciate that intro as always, brother.
2: Rod, I just thought of something on your intro. Like, do you like that I said when you were done with football? Because most guys say, yeah, the game's done with you before you're done with the game. But I just uh, go... Yeah, I, I, I just go off of that story you tell about your Austin Wranglers time when you you just realized it was time.
3: That's what I knew. But it, playing much, days, the game, yeah, because I did. I left CFL too. I probably could have played some more CFL years if yeah. I wanted to. Nah, and because I left that because I didn't like the pay. And then I came back and I was like, well, if I'm going to be here in Austin, I might as well earn some extra money playing ball. But I didn't have the
1: staying shape.
3: Yeah, and I, I just when I got there, I didn't have a passion for it. I realized that because yeah. you don't have those moments, you know, of reflection. Mm-hmm. You just your 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 pursuit and your passion is all that's driving you. Um at that time I was thinking about other stuff, going back to school and where I was gonna live. Football was not my top passion or my priority and that's when I had that man in the mirror moment. Like get I mean, come on, dude. Get real get real. It's time to it's time to stop being polite and start getting real. <laughs> when, when,
2: as you tell the story, some guy that looked like me sitting down next to you in the locker room asking if you're you're ready to go play ball. Ready to go play ball. <laughs> exactly. In the Palace on Palmer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think I know what uh, In a high yeah. school
3: locker room, pretty much. And I was like, yeah, I think we're full circle here. Yeah.
2: But right. uh, glad it, it worked out for you, Rod, because now oh, yeah. for, for over a decade we've been doing this show. So it's I love uh, it, all good. And uh, you're one of the voices in Austin Radio. So that's uh, is good, brother. Drive time, man. It's good stuff. It's it. All right, so let's talk about the Texas defense. Rod, I know you were chomping at the bit. Isn't that weird? Like, people say, oh, it's champing at the bit. And I've Googled it, and, like, you can say either it's one. say,
3: so. yeah, Craig it, has. It, I think it, Craig yeah. has broken this down a couple of
2: times. I do a show you with Craig, so I'm just, yeah, I get corrected <laughs> all the time. It runs off on you. The
3: deal there. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, Rod, you've been anxious to share some of your defensive notes, thoughts, observations from the spring game. My My big takeaway was, man – We heard all spring that Byron Murphy was a potential game wrecker. He's Mm -hmm. taking his game to another level, and man, the amount of one on ones he won, the amount of havoc he caused when he was on the field. uh, I think if you're talking about war daddies up front, you know some people hate that term. I I think it starts with him.
3: Uh, If you're gonna try to pursue you know, uh, any player to be that dominant on the front, I guess right now, he is the most consistent of yep. those guys who consistently can win one-on-ones and would most likely have to demand a double team now. Other teams may have better adequate resources on the offensive line, so they may not have to do that. But for Texas, the challenge will be, because Sark has already said, he's our best pass rusher and basically anthony hill the freshman is the mm-hmm. other uh, pass rusher i think that's easier to weaponize his skill set and it's also advantageous for a young player who's really good at one or two things and their overall skill set maybe not has hasn't yet necessarily uh been able to you know transition to the higher level yeah. but hey he's an elite pass rusher so that's something situational. you can just put him on the field and let him do and i also think It actually works out for Texas. Ideally, you like your best pass rushers to be on the edge. This makes it easier to be able to scheme one on one situations for your best pass rushers. Since you got a guy on the interior now, now you have to, as a coach, figure out a way schematically to uh, to weaponize that player. So you can do it with a lot of twists and stunts up front, right? You can move that guy around, get him matched one-on-one. Uh, a lot of interior blitzes, which works out for a guy like Anthony Hill there. You can get interior blitzes, twists and stunts to try to free him up. It's just easier to be able to double-team a guy on the interior. That's why a guy like Aaron Donald being such a dominant pass yeah. rusher, J.J. Watt, it's just crazy, Chris Jones, because it's easier. you got more personnel and more ways to be able to neutralize that threat. So, I mean, they can figure it out. Dan Quinn, who they had actually here for the coaching clinic, he runs more twists and starts than anybody in the league. Yeah. Uh, that's I'm sure they can steal some concepts from him about how to free up guys on the interior.
2: I know the the talent and was better and everybody was more well-versed with the scheme last year. It just seemed like their blitzes, Rod, last year were just night and day different. And it's not that they did anything stylistically or schematically different. The execution was just so much cleaner Well, and last they, year.
3: It was common sense. They put DeMarvion overshone on the edge. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was just weird that a guy that was a natural kind of... I would call them spread babies. He was just naturally comfortable in space. And then, and of course he had to play off ball linebacker. So yes, he's got to operate, you know, within the box, pretty much within a phone booth, but they should have tried to do more things to put him in space. And they finally did. They put him on the edge and he was great. He actually had a 25% uh, pressure rate last year. That's higher than any of the linebackers that are going to be drafted in the top two rounds. I guarantee you because mm-hmm. he was just really, really good at it. I the, the key line, the, the top linebackers, the prospects, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I think if they do that now with Anthony Hill, it'll also help. So, I mean, sometimes guy like Oversham, don't try to if it's if he's a fork, don't try to turn him into a spoon. You know what I mean? Let him be a fork.
2: Yeah, that's good. You know
3: what I'm
1: yeah, and in those true pass sets, his number, because I remember we brought it up, he, him and a, one of the other TCU guys were elite, like top of the nation mm-hmm. when you looked at the Big 12. That's why they had, it wasn't your traditional pass rushers. They were both linebackers. And when I pulled up the numbers from last year, now this is a tiny, tiny sample, and it's sort of similar to the way jude Barion two years ago had a tiny mm-hmm. sample, but you extrapolate. Extrapolate. but you could see it. You know who's ahead <laughs> of Damarian Do- of Overshown in only his 42 uh, D-line snaps, and it was 13 true pass sets, David it Benda. It. David what? Benda was getting there 33% wow. of the time, and it what was 23.8 for overshown. Now, mm-hmm. it's a tiny sample, but he was really productive when given the chance. Now, some of that could have been mop-up duty against backups, stuff like that, but still, it sort of stood out to me whenever I pulled it up. That is. I didn't. I, didn't I mean, if we're, we're he hearing says. flashes and hearing yeah. names, that, that might be why. No, you be, know, that's that's
2: good point. Rod, when you were on the 40, um and I know I reference your time a lot, but that's just, you know, that's what's fresh to I me. Mean, it's, it's really weird when I think about it. Like when I was in high school, the way people talked about Texas football, like in the late 70s, early 80s, is now how I sound talking about football in the <laughs> late 90s and early 2000s. It's really Back weird in when, my day. It's really weird when you think about it like that. <laughs> but no, but like from the time you got to campus until the time you left, a lot of position groups changed. They looked a lot different. Yeah. Maybe the one that was the biggest change was probably off ball linebacker because the guys just looked a little different when you came in. And then by the time you left, it's it's Aaron Harris, it's Garnett Smith, it's Derek Johnson, it's these guys that are a little longer, a little more rangy, explosive athletes. That to me is kind of where I see the linebacker group going. Like when you watch Leonga LaFau and Anthony Hill, like you watch them in the spring game, you're like, other than Jalen Ford, it's been a minute since I've seen Texas have guys like that that are that violent to the football that instinctive that good in space that can do so many things in their young guys like this is their first spring they looked apart the that's the tip of the cap to Jeff choate and PK and that right. defensive staff they knew they needed to hit it out of the park with linebacker recruiting in 2023 and we haven't even seen Samaji Burrell and these other guys get the campus yet but with the first two mm-hmm. it goes back to what I heard all spring they feel like they hit Grand Slams with these two and at this point I would have to agree
3: yeah, I mean, that's uh, it, that's why I think the defense is actually going to be good this year. It kind of goes back to my central nervous system theory. I do think if and you got Jalen Ford, of course, right there, the off-ball linebacker, whoever's going to play that other off-ball linebacker spot. You know, if it's a veteran or a young guy, it'll be a high-ceiling young guy. It'll be a veteran who's been around for a really long time. So I think it'll be stabilized either way. Uh, Then we know the strength on D-line, interior D-line. Last year, deepest in the country, arguably. This year, still really, really deep. Got NFL players on the D-line. Just talked about Byron Murphy. Tavundra Sweat's going to be a force. Hopefully, Alfred Collins, you know, the light goes off for him. And look at safety. I mean, Jaron Thompson crazy think about it now like he's the vet back there he's mm-hmm. the you know what i mean like that guy is the vet in the secondary he's going to be the air traffic controller if you will when jalen Catalan starts at that other safety spot i guarantee you he's going to be asking uh, jaron thompson a lot of questions about hey what where i line up on here what, what should i be looking for in this coverage that kind of thing he's going to be the one pretty much teaching the rest of those young bucks the system because he's so comfortable in and out and he he's seen so many reps uh and then we have some Jalen catalan might get the spot but if not keaton crawford will be that guy the strength of your defense is right up to your central nervous system your communication center uh your 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 veteran presence there you also got high high football high football iq guys there and playmakers every time texas had a really good defense Central nervous system has been really stable.
2: One thing that I thought was interesting, uh, and Jaron Thompson mentioned this, by the way. Anytime you mention the players, anytime you hear the players mention a guy named Bug, they're talking about Jaron Thompson. They call him Bug. So, oh, nice. Anytime you hear Bug mentioned, they're talking about Jaron Thompson. That's a nice nugget. Uh, there. But one thing, one thing (laughs) Jaron Thompson mentioned that I thought was really interesting, and I don't know, maybe it's not that big a deal, Rod. You tell me. And anytime we're talking DBs, I yield the floor to you. He was asked about boundary safety, field safety during one of the availabilities, and he said, well, they really don't, you know, PK and and Blake Gideon, they don't focus on, and Terry Joseph too, since he's the defensive pass game coordinator, they don't really focus on who's the boundary safety, who's the field safety in spring ball. They just call it left safety, right safety. Mm -hmm. Presumably, hey, we just want our three or four best options, and then based on matchups or whatever, you're both capable of playing field or boundary, however we need you to play. I just thought that was a little bit a little bit interesting. Yeah, I
3: think there probably was more, uh, they probably were a little bit more rigid with that maybe when they first came in. You know, this is a team that wants position flexibility. I mean, Mm -hmm. they—you can tell—they like guys. They cross train players. You know, at different positions, they've tried to experiment. They like their defensive backs to be guys who switch from corner to safety. Uh, So, I do think now with guys having a more more comfort, obviously, and familiarity with the system, and obviously, it helps in terms of game planning too. If you are so rigid, mm-hmm. where you know you have to have guys playing boundary and field all the time, um, there are ways to expose that to actually uh, be able to expose that trend uh, mm-hmm. and that weakness. So the more flexible your guys are, the more position fluidity you have. Mm-hmm. The tougher it's going to be for offenses to try to uh, you know to try to decipher exactly what the rules are that bind the structural integrity of your defense, and then how to violate those rules. Yeah. If your guys are flexible, it's hard to figure out. Damn, what's the what's the rule? Like. Yep. Is the rule on the boundary when you know when the strength is this side? Is he on the boundary side? Like, what's mm-hmm. the rule? You can't figure out the rules if the guys are constantly moving
1: around the pieces. Yeah. Are and you, you break in tendencies of what right. say is the norm across the yep. country, and then. If you think about, you know, I mean, the Big 12 isn't as hurry up as it's been in years past, but still, just that little bit of time, the hesitation to have to identify and then line up on one side or the other this way, there isn't that wasted, you know, five half of a second to flip sides if you need to make sure you're on the wide side of the field always, yeah. and going back
3: and forth, and instead, you're just diagnosing the play you already. switching responsibilities going, oh yeah. man, All right, you take that responsibility, I'll take the other side. It's exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then also, since uh, y'all brought up and opened with Byron Murphy, I pulled up some numbers that sort of stood out. If you look across the country of interior linemen, D linemen in true pass sets, Byron Murphy was fourth. In, when you have a minimum of at least 225 pass rush snaps, Byron Murphy was fourth in the country in win percentage. It was 29.6% of the time, which is an insanely high number. And you see a guy like Keandre Coburn was down at 22nd. But if you look at even his PFF grade was also in the top 12 for Byron Murphy. But winning at a twenty nine point six percent rate from the inside is insanely high, and doing that, the fourth best in the country. That, that's why you're sure sort to of going to be building everything around that. He's dude. Just so compact and low to the ground. Yeah. I mean, that's it's hard kind of to get low every pad play,
3: level on that guy. Mm-hmm. Every
1: set of downs, you can almost expect him to get there. And you know, one if he's winning that matchup, there's one play where he's causing havoc. Oh no, they're
3: going to have. I mean, most teams are going to have to devote at least a man and a half, if not a true double team, then at least. You know your center shades gets a gets a hand on them something mm-hmm. like that. So like, that's you know, that's a like win. for
1: context. Jalen Carter, who's like consensus, oh, like yeah. out of Georgia, the top guy, he was down at fourteenth in the country. Now he's probably seen more double teams across the board, but he was winning at a twenty four point five percent rate. Murphy's at twenty nine
2: point six. To your point about his body type, Rod, like you go out to practice and you just watch Bo Davis, like they're doing. You know. Either either hand placement stuff or, or BGO drills. Whenever I watch the defensive lineman, that's ball pretty much off. all they do. Mm-hmm. And you watch Byron Murphy, just his BGO. You are like, all right, that looks different. Yeah, like he's just so, like you said, he's mm-hmm. compact. But that just like the hip torque and the explosion, everything you talk about, a guy firing off the ball, like he, he really. And that's what part of ball get off. You think first step? No, pad level's are a really big part oh, of that. Huge. Ball and because
3: it's bigger than the first step.
2: Yeah, wow. it's really it's really hard. When you've got a guy that's that explosive that can play that low, it's really hard to beat him one-on-one, if not damn near impossible.
3: Yeah, yeah so some you guys can get away with getting a little high on the edge because you're working more in space. Yeah. There's no room for high pad level in the interior D-line or interior line play, period. Yeah, Like, that low pad, lowest man and wins. Low man wins. That's why, like, that.
1: we always were marveling <laughs> at Puna Ford and his immediate impact in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But when you look at his measurables, he's so small and stout with the longest body. It was like E-Honda out there. Like, he's able to get low, <laughs> I like those that. people straight E-Honda. out, you know? That's pretty
3: really good. I like that. Nice.
2: Is that the move like in the Super Nintendo? You just push like <laughs> mm-hmm. the Y button over and over, make him do the arm thing. Yep, really fast. 100%. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love me some Street Fighter. Yeah. Oh, uh, but, no, I, I, I like Byron Murphy. Tavondre Sweat is, you know, he we've seen him win at times. To me, Sweat's more. He wins a
3: different way. Yeah. He wins with just mass because he's so damn big that I think a lot of his is just kind of brute force. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he still has his, his skill set still is a NFL skill set. Yeah. He's, ma- he's a
1: man-eater. Like, he can yeah. eat up two people if you're going to go, and you can open up your linebackers when you have somebody like
2: But, no, like with, with Sweat, like – I remember watching him early on. And he was a big basketball player, and just kind of grew and it just hit like I don't know, like some kind of growth spurt. Like when when he when he committed to Texas, and he was with 2019 class. When he committed, he was probably the 260s, 270, and then because I remember I saw him that fall, <laughs> he showed up for the spring game.
3: Hello, what is he now?
1: 365.
2: He showed up for the spring game and was 365? like oh, like right at 300. I'm like. I'm like, he gained 40 pounds, and he didn't look fat. Wow. I'm like, he just gained, like, 30, 40 pounds yeah, in like about eight months.
3: have a frame like that.
2: Yeah, and then at 365, that's why I think you forget, like, mm. he was an athletic guy when the, when the previous staff recruited him they initially looked at him like, hey, maybe he can be like a five-technique type guy he can move around. and play multiple he can shades. No, now 60. he's 365, but he's wow. still that athletic. I did not realize he came in that light. When he committed, Rod, he was like in the 260s, That's 270s. And then like by the fall, he was in the 280s. Wow. And then when I saw him at the spring game, he was over 300 pounds. I
3: would pounds. to talk to him about his
2: transformation. Yeah.
3: Like, what the hell did you eat in that time span? I, yeah. I mean, I
2: think part of it was just... When he, he got just, to Texas, he, he got on a steal. meal plan. Yeah. He was just a baby steal and he yeah. got
3: high high level nutrition, high level dietitian, high level weights and everything. Yeah. He just yeah. packed on the, the mass. I mean, if you,
1: you saw a guy like a Rackpo put, put on like probably 65 pounds, they said. He came in at like yeah, two. Rack was like you know, two, 15, 205,
2: 210. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And got up to 275, 280. But this is even bigger. That's insane. That is. Insane.
2: Like he was in, like I said, when he committed to Texas, he was like in the 260s so that spring, got down to, got up to the 280s as a senior. And saw him at the spring game He was in the 300 So I'm like Dude that's a 40 pound difference In a year That's unbelievable And then it just skyrocketed At Texas He said Rod I think he started a, Was starting to get That grown man body With some of that baby fat They talk about mm-hmm. And then just I'm saying NFL,
3: NFL coaches And Scott's gonna love that yeah. I mean, they love stories like that.
2: You know They what love you, stories
3: of late bloomers.
2: You got Corey Redding's body did that too because I think people forget like Corey Redding was, was a deep, was, he was like, an outside linebacker yeah, actually he was, when he first yeah. came
3: in. Mm-hmm. He really was like he was mm-hmm. considered, he, he really did it, it was a different era of football but I could see that if he was in a, a on a more a, a more modern age of football that they probably would have tried to move him around the front, just mm-hmm. gotta be a guy that could play on the outside, guy that could play inside guy that could do everything but Man, He just came in. They just packed on the pounds. He went from outside linebacker to edge. Thought he was going to stay at edge. That's what he was at Texas. Got to the league into D tackle. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like C Red was what? Like, he was in the 310s? Yeah, 3-20s? but C Red was so long. And, yeah. I mean, yeah C Red was probably 6'5, six, five, six, five, six, So He was huge. Sweat's man. like 6'4. Yeah. And he's long. Got, so maybe yeah. it's the same same kind you of dude. got deal. that kind
3: of body, man. C Red, you can just put on the weight. But he was still athletic as hell. I mean, I still remember when he first got here. Everybody probably does that. Mm-hmm. It, was it a fumble recovery? Interception The front Reception. flip. It was into the picked off Ronald injury. Curry in the North off, Carolina yeah, game I was at that game Flipped into the end zone I was like That's crazy Yeah, yeah. He's, a dude diving, that size he's to be that literally letter.
1: just diving to put the ball over And his momentum just tumbles and somersaults him into it's the great. end zone
2: You played with some freaks, Rod That dude was a freak Nathan Vasher was a freak Derek yeah. Johnson was a freak Roy Williams was probably <laughs> the biggest freak of all of them I'm gonna say Roy Williams <sighs> was a freak of nature Yeah
3: Yeah he might have been the best athlete on the team. It's yeah. possible.
2: Even someone like the some though. Like, I, I think I said this already. I keep going back to your era because following this program as long as I've had, that's when I started to notice body types were changing, talent level was changing. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And, like, when you had guys on that offensive line, like Will Winston came in, Lionel Gar, he had Mike Williams, you still had Leonard Davis. like, And that was at a time, too, where Tim Nunez was like a he, – he seemed to be a big fan. That's where, like, Texas was kind of caught in this weird track. Like, they were trying to do some zone blocking, but Tim Nunez – was still kind of in that mindset. He wanted, like, one of those Dallas Cowboys, hmm. early 90s Cowboys offensive yeah. lines yeah. where you just wanted, like, just big, like, Lionel Gar like, didn't play a ton. Lionel Gar was, like, 330, 340. Will Winston was in the 350s. They mm-hmm. like, They're just massive dudes up front.
3: Yeah. No, I remember that. It's, your point about linebacker, though, I think is astute. I, I believe out of all the positions that have transmogrified um to, 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 to be, you know, um, modernized with our today, our, what we know as modern football today, it's the linebacker position has probably been sleeked down the most and probably has gotten faster than any other position yeah. over the last 15, 20 years. That
2: Mike Tomlin quote look like what you hunt.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it, look at the, the NFL combine is a primary example. The mm-hmm. linebackers, I mean, it used to be a linebacker was a, fat, a, a four. Five or four six linebacker was moving. And that was good. Do you got linebackers now? They're running four
2: fours. You think Malik Jefferson was at, <laughs> hey, Malik Jefferson? Malik Jefferson was at the combine five years ago, and ran what he run, four five two, four mm-hmm. five three, and yeah. everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's fast. Do you see linebackers running high four fours now? It's like it's nothing. Like it's nothing.
3: And it, it, exactly. It doesn't even like it doesn't even get any attention these days when linebacker runs a four four. It's not even we're, we're talking stand about,
2: out. We're talking about Demarvin Overson Like eh, maybe he's a mid to high four five guy. 5 6 years ago that would have put you like in the top yeah, tier. In the top percentile of guys at linebackers of the combine. Yeah,
3: not anymore, man. Linebackers because I think it's just so much asked of them at this yeah. point. It it is. It's I it it's right up there with being the most difficult position now to kind of project, evaluate, develop on defense. I think most of those guys are going to be kind of projects that they end up at the you know obviously playing a little error but they end up at the NFL level being a high level off ball linebacker i think they start off because the lower levels are all proliferating the spread offense mm-hmm. you don't find
2: them naturally like you're used to to me off ball linebacker and offensive tackle are very similar just from the standpoint of you either have to recruit a stud that's ready to go day 1 at that position or you got to find you jalen ford where it's like all right give me give me a couple years yeah. and 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 i think this guy will be something
3: as long as he's got these tools yeah. i'm good as I find those tools, I can work with everything. Yeah, like
2: offensive tackle, you recruit you're recruiting tools. Yeah. Like we we see you no know, it would have been probably back in your day, Rod, maybe up to about 10, 15 years ago, it would have been unthinkable for a program like Texas to say, Hey, we'll recruit this uh this converted tight end or this guy that might have played tackle for a year, we'll recruit him to play tackle because he's got length he's two two ninety right now. We can bulk him up and he can be an athletic three thirty mm-hmm. at tackle. Like that would've been unthinkable. Now you coaches have no compunction about doing that now.
3: Yeah, now you're right about that. It's a good point. Got to be on the cutting edge of it because though.
2: because edge rushers have become sleeker, slender. You can't have if you're 350 at offensive tackle. You better be damn athletic at 350.
3: Yeah, there, there is now though a situation that just kind of goes to like some of the the different D tackles and interior D line in the Texas. You have to have a player that's ready for the counter. Everything is so you got to have a, pretty much a very diverse group of D linemen these days because teams you're gonna face teams that love to run the outside zone, mm-hmm. run to run zone, so they're gonna stretch the sideline to sideline so they stretch you and then you have teams that wanna run power and some teams are gonna run both. And then, so you have to be ready for the changeup. If you're not ready for the changeup, then a team has an easy way to exploit you. So you'll see teams more and more like Texas. Hey, man, we need a trail carter. You've got to have that guy. You've got to have a, a penetrator, and I've got to have a run stuffer, and I need both. The NFL is now just starting to figure it out a little bit more, too. That's why Keandre Coburn's going to have a home. Every team needs a Keandre Coburn. Yeah. Every team's going to need a uh, run stuffing, wide body, you know, double team taking, old school D tackle. Um no matter where they're drafted, because every team's counter offensively, when you stuff you stuff their outside and inside zone, they're gonna go power, they're gonna go with their counter, literally. And you if you don't have a guy that can just be a run stuffing, wide body, old school D tackle inside, Dude, you're going to get swept away. Happened to the Cowboys last year. They went out and got Jonathan Hankins. It was like, man, we're getting you know, mm-hmm. assaulted up front. Happened to the Philadelphia Eagles after Jordan Davis went down, who they drafted one in the, in the first round. He was just a freak. They went out and got a dunking sue. Um, man, they went out and got Linville Joseph, I think another one. If you don't have that guy, you will be exposed during the season. So you can either go draft one late. You can go uh, sign one to a mercenary deal short term or – you can, you know, go try to prioritize it, kind of like the Eagles did. We drafted one really early. Like, all right, you know what? We won't worry about it for three or four years. But even then, they get hurt. You're going to need another one. Yeah. So that's why Kendrick Coburn, nothing for him to worry about. And I heard he said, he, I met with almost every team. Yeah, because every team needs a Kendrick Coburn. It's like a plunger. Every house needs a plunger mm-hmm. when the fit hits the shan. And if you don't have a plunger in your house when, that, when you need it most, you're going to regret it. And then you realize every damn bathroom in the house needs a plunger. I don't know where it is in your house. On a bathroom, garage, you need a plunger. That's the wide body, old school D-tackle. Everybody thought for a while they didn't need one. They were trying to hide them in the corner. Mm-hmm. Now you need one, and everybody's gonna have to have one. That's why Coburn is gonna be good in this draft. And, and he's not gonna be drafted high, but he's gonna be good in this draft.
2: But those those guys are t- traditionally they they're cheap because they're they are they're day they three guys. Easily. They're undrafted free agents. Yeah, I look at it, it's it's. It was the gift and the curse for Malcolm Brown being a first-round pick Mm -hmm. because he was really productive. He was productive from the Patriots from day one, helped him win a couple Super Bowls, got a free agent deal with the Saints, Mm -hmm. went to Jacksonville, or, you know, Charlie Strong was on that Jacksonville staff. But as a first-round pick, Rod, you know, with, you know, your rights and the CBA and the wage scale – Malcolm Brown's out of the league because he just got too expensive. Pretty yep. much.
3: Exactly. Is it, oh, why, why would you pay an old, aging D tackle like that? Cowboys don't want to do it. They signed Hank and Saw a one year deal. The Dumb King Sue can only get mercenary deals yeah. now. That's how it's going to be for those old school Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys tried to get
2: tackles. Gerald McCoy on one of those mercenary deals yeah, a couple exactly. years ago, and then he got hurt. Yeah.
3: So they don't want to invest in that because they figure, man, I don't want to spend a ton of money on a plunger. Yeah. All right. I just, you know, it's a plunger. So I'll it just, just get mean, one every I'll get the cheapest one I can get. It wears out. I'll go get another one. And some teams decide, no, no, no. This is actually pivotal to our you know structural integrity of our defense. We need one of these guys. The Eagles got to prioritize. But when you get a freak like Jordan Davis, it's a little bit different. Like he's well, like and he's like the kid from Georgia. Are you saying yeah, are, Denver, are you saying
2: every now and then? Like
3: that. They do everything. <laughs> I'm
2: saying, saying every so now so and then when Georgia. you're at Lowe's or Home Depot, like you don't need the $2.99 plunger. Like hey, I got splurge and get the get the $20 plunger. Yeah, why
3: would you want to get a $20? Yeah, <laughs> 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 It's got it's a nice decoration. <laughs> I got, <guy>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess when you live in Westlake, you got a really nice bathroom. Yeah. You buy brown, really the brown
2: the nice brown handle with the little rubber thing that works just fine.
3: exactly. So I think that's why. I compare it to a because nobody really wants to spend a ton of money on one, but you desperately need it. Well, and then stated, While we're I'm talking
1: about that position, like, we're seeing that same situation. It's happened in the past to what linebackers are, but also right now with Bijan and running backs, and, like, you know, mm-hmm. with Bijan being... What he is, and it's the same thing that I've heard and seen people talk about. I mean, Travis Kelsey's led the NFL in receiving yards, if you just compile up the last five years. He's split outside and like a lot of these other modern-day tight ends more than half the time. Like, they need to be branded as wide receivers. Bijan is such a good outside receiver that, I mean, if I were him, I would be making like the Anthony Davis stance and saying, I'm not a center. I'm a guy that plays on the wing. Like, he's like, no, I'm an all purpose weapon. Don't pigeonhole me in to being a running back that's going to be devalued. I'm a player that's able to go on the outside, be a receiver, be an all purpose weapon, and get paid the way that, say, a wide receiver gets paid. Because, like, you're basically pigeonholing these guys, like what you did with the tackles, say, if you don't have pass rush ability. And that's the one thing that you see Coburn actually last year in college was a top 20 guy in pass rush win rate. So it's a way that he may be isn't going to get pigeonholed the way that interior D linemen, some linebackers or running backs are, but if you're one of those running backs that has a skill set that can catch the ball like a McCaffrey you shouldn't be labeled into that one block that's devalued as standard running backs because you aren't one of those guys and you're going to get paid way, way less than you should be even though you're as much or even more valuable of a weapon to your team and that can happen if you have a pass rushing D tackle these days.
2: I I think I see what you're saying, Matt. I think more to Rod's point though, when when I think about what Rod's talking about, and we'll talk about the draft. I do want to there's one more thing I want to talk about related to Texas defense. Uh what Rod's talking about, I think about some guys like Texas that have been like this. We're seeing more positionless football, but if you have a a very specialized skill set mm-hmm. like a Hassan Ridgway, where yep. you're just you're one of those mm-hmm. you know, big run stuff and defensive tackles, like Andrew Beck. That's a skill set that's not widely available anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you get one of those guys, yep. you're going to hang on to them for a while. You're yep. going to be able to carve out a niche yep. for yourself in the league. That's, and one, that's why
1: the, the wider arching labels where we talk about devalued positions, if you were really looking at the nuance – Some of these guys that are clumped into that group don't necessarily fit it, but then, unfortunate for for them, they get paid that way. It's almost like their representation needs to be like, "No, I'm all purpose weapon. I'm not a running back."
2: Brendan Schooler is a perfect example, though. Like, different franchises value different things. Like, people say, "Oh, you can't, you can't allocate, you know, roster spots to just special teams players." Well, Bill Belichick still wants to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why Brendan Schooler. I know I say it a lot, man, but. Don't tell me you guys didn't have the same thought. When you saw Schooler sign with the Patriots, I was like, dude, that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, it did make perfect perfect sense. sense. And then him giving Bill Belichick a game ball that he recovered was hilarious. (laughs) Belichick's like, I just
2: need a guy who's physical, fast, doesn't mind throwing his body around. A little bit, maybe got a little screw loose. Yeah, yeah give me I mean, this kid from said, Texas. Matthew Slater
1: there for like a decade. That, this, that guy makes a Pro Bowl every year.
2: I mean, Larry Izzo, you go back to Belichick, yep. when he was with the Giants, they had Renee Thompson. I mean, he had Benny Thompson in Cleveland. Belichick's always had one of those guys. It was just mm-hmm. like regarded. Rod, you you know those guys. Like, mm-hmm. He's the best special teams player in the league. Well, what does that mean? I don't know, but he's on every punt coverage, kick coverage, kick return, punt return. Oh, he's doing, I forgot yeah, the, he's on the hands ever, team.
3: That'll probably be Rojo. I mean, Rojo will become that guy for some team.
1: Hopefully yeah, and the then
3: I mean he's mm-hmm. a guy that breaks Early all all the all before he becomes a starting running yeah. back or contends be one. Yeah. He'll he'll be the special teams uh, guy. But
2: Texas defense, I want to stick with this, Rod, go back to the secondary real quick. When we That's talk right. about the field and boundary stuff, uh if you watch it last year, you see enough of it and I saw enough of it just kind of guys work in different positions in mm-hmm. the spring. Other than Ryan Watts, we know he's a boundary corner.
3: We know he is a boundary corner.
2: He, even the corners, like I've seen, you see Austin Jordan. He can play. He's played field. He's played boundary. Hell, he's played at the star position. Terrence Brooks, Terrence has, played Brooks both. has played both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Gavin Holmes can play both and can play nickel. Just well, they need lot. to have a, a contingency plan. Yeah,
3: last year when Ryan Watts went down, there was a noticeable difference in the coverage, and they had to change things up. Yeah. you know, a ton. I think he missed the whole to secondary that boundary corner a little bit more. And they don't want to protect the boundary corner. Right. Think about Ryan Watts is, and he, he's damn good at it. I'm not hating on him at all. He's awesome. Uh, but they don't give him a lot of help. So he's a lot of times, his version of their match quarters, and they go man-to-man, they shade coverage usually the other way, formationally to the strength or to help out that field side. Right. So, And he does a great job of initially disrupting the wide receiver. I think his – and this is where he's going to improve this year, I'm sure of it, the trouble comes with him is when he's got to flip his hips once they're into the route progression yeah. downfield. But a lot of the times, hell, if he can disrupt the rod receiver enough and reroute the guy, the quarterback's already through his progression. He's like, mm-hmm. no, i got to get, I got to get through my progression. I ain't got time. He's off Unless you're it. the primary read and they're featuring you and that's it, I don't really have time to go to, yeah. to, to, to focus on you and only you. So that's the beauty of it, I think that's what the coaches want to do. The I, What I think the challenge is this year, because last year I think Just, uh, just guesstimating, probably fifteen to twenty percent man to man. Uh, They play a ton of basically match quarters, cover four, matchup zone, um, just pattern matching. Basically, a zone that ends up deteriorating into a man coverage, depending on where the receivers declare in their route combinations. Uh, So that's basically what it is. They played a ton of that. They want to play more. That's the Gary Patterson's influence, though. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know if Gary, because Gary Patterson was doing that. It was TCU, and Mm -hmm. that was kind of one of his conceptual signatures. And Texas played a lot of that. I think they want to play more of it, but they also want to play more man-to-man. But They want to play more bump and run. Because remember, they got a ton of pressure. They figured out the pressure issue last year. They were like 108th or something like that right, in pressure rate. This year, they were second behind Clemson in pressures, right? But they only had, was it 27 sacks? They were the, uh, actually, there were two teams in the top 10, them and North Carolina State, in pressures that had less than 30 sacks. So Sark's theory this year, from what I hear, is the way they're going to try to transform those or convert those pressures into sacks It's playing more bump and run. Take away the low-hanging fruit on the route tree. Take away the quick game. Force the quarterback into a deeper progression or a deeper into his progression. Hold on to the ball a little bit in Texas. I guess, theoretically, guys will be able to get home. That's Mm -hmm. what we want to do. But to do that, you got to play bump and run on the field side, too, yeah. which is, I ain't gonna lie, that's tough. I can tell you right now, mm-hmm. guys have two-way goals. They have tons of ways to set you up. There's a lot of field to work with. So you need a bad mofo out there. And somebody you can trust is going to play bump and run on the field side. I think they want to do that situationally. And when the formation you know, is appropriate, yeah. I think they want to do that. Uh, they just don't necessarily trust any of those corners yet to do it. And last year, that was one of their weaknesses, is that last year teams were able, when Texas wanted to try to play bump and run, to manipulate them on the field side, mostly with bunch formations and mostly with a lot of kind of uh, motion and stuff like that to try to disfigure their bump yeah. and run. And
2: that's why uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons why you didn't see a young guy like Terrence Brooks more in the bowl game. Mm. A guy like Deshaun Jamison who's seen more of that stuff. Uh, I don't know that Terrence Brooks is ready to handle some of the bunch for, because Washington, Washington ran a lot of bunch formations. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think I think it was one of those deals I think the staff probably felt like maybe Deshaun is <laughs> more equipped to handle that. So that's I agree we, with that. That's it's just yeah. it's a growth thing for Terrence yep. Brooks. The talent's there. Like we
3: Oh, I love that kid. You don't need to that's be great. you
2: don't need to be a football theorist to watch Terrence mm-hmm. Brooks and be like, okay, that guy can play. Not at all. Uh you know we that's saw it. that. Yep. So no, I just want to get the secondary discussion, Roger's right. Like I said, I just like the way that they're cross training guys and guys are able to because it's it's, it's, like the, it's like cross-training on the offensive line. To me, the offensive line and the secondary like that are very similar. Mm-hmm. If Ryan Watts goes down, I don't necessarily want to put my backup field corner in there. I want the flexibility to let Terrence Brooks go, or my second boundary corner, I want Terrence Brooks to go play the boundary. Because I can trust Gavin Holmes to go play the field.
3: You want to be able to put your best 11 out there no matter what the situation. Or I might be, be forced to do Or I
2: could else. have maybe Gavin Holmes is better at the star Austin Jordan is better at the star. Now I can go have Jade Barron play the field.
3: You're a problem solver if you're a coach, yeah. right? So you want to give yourself more solutions try to solve that problem. That's what position flexibility does or cross-training guys does. So I think in the secondary, honestly, I think Terrence Brooks is going to win the job. I do think he has a – what a, basically, if I basically – if I was just evaluating the corners from what I've seen – Terrence Brooks has the ability to, he has the ability to execute a perfect rep. It's not a lot of DBs can do it. He did it in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Remember the bump and run uh, play he had on a deep ball against Xavier Worthy? I believe he was on the, yeah. I believe he was on the boundary side, if I'm not mistaken, on that He might one. have
2: been. I, have to go back and look. I know the front. throw you're talking about, though.
3: And then he ends up uh, being able to pin Xavier Worthy to the sideline. Uh, he utilizes the look and lean that by, uh, Coach Dwayne Nikita used to always say. If you can be able to keep the receiver in phase, look back for the football, and feel the receiver, did that. It was a marvelous almost a perfect rep that I would use in training tape for DBs he had another in the bowl game that he should have got actually wasn't a perfect rep because he should have picked it off um, and on that kind of comeback route deep downfield, he's I, I've seen him execute damn near perfect reps just in a little sample size yeah. and I know it's in him to have more of those I that's, that's what I say I think he has a higher ceiling than a lot of the other corners and I know his footwork is naturally ingrained because his dad's kind of a, the footwork coach anyway so he doesn't have to worry about the footwork and wasted moves that's why those perfect reps are possible doesn't have a lot of wasted movement with his feet. So I love him. Some terms, but I think he's going to win the job. Jade Barron, man, that guy should be an all-Big 12 defender next year, and if he's mm-hmm. not, I'd be disappointed. Yeah. Nobody believes their film study and preparation as much as Jade Barron. You can tell watching him. He has he's no hesitation. He reminds me of like Nasty Nate in that regard. Come guys, mm-hmm. Quandre yep. was like that. Yes. And it, they get beat sometimes because the double moves and you can you can use kind of hesitation routes, burst routes against them. I get that, but for the most part, man, those guys they have so much faith in their film study they just jump it. And it's not really. It seems like they're jumping it, but they're really not. Yeah. They just see the the keys that they film. Those screens in the it's TCU game, and he just yeah. he just has no no fear. There's yeah. no fear. I'm going. I'm going, baby. And robbie didn't operate like that. I had that little fear. Like, hey, man, what if they run that hitch and go on your boy? What if they run the slant and go? So I was always there. But I, there were times I remember, damn, I know this is going to be a double slant. They always run double slant on third and long, especially on this side of the field. Like, I know, I, I, my football investigative skills are adding up. I'm seeing the clues. Yep. I'm reading the clues in the pre-snap. And I'm right there. And I know it. And yet... I let him run the double set and I just, I had a good tackle right there. I was right on top of him. It's like, damn it, Robbie, if you'd have believed your film study, Nasty Nate takes that to the house. Yeah. Jade Barron is that guy. Yeah. He's going to take it to the house. He believes it. That's, that's what I love about Jade Barron's game, man. So I can't wait to watch him more and I can't wait to watch Jalen Catalan out there. He's, he's also a football investigator, speaking of the term. That guy, he, he deciphers and reads clues as well as anybody out there on a the football field. That's why his size, really, not even a big deal. Yeah. You know, he plays so much bigger than his size
2: You know what else I like about Jaday Barron That I always like throwing in there when I can what? He's a Matt Rule guy
3: Oh well you know that but, yeah, <laughs> hey, it's college bat college rule is a different Matt rule than yes. NFL bat rule. <laughs>
2: yeah, you
1: can find that talent. Yeah, and when you look at the guys, like you said, Jaday Barron, I mean, he was so elite when we first saw him and then he continued last year, his coverage numbers across the board. But as a team, since you brought up the increased amount of man and how they want to play man more, if you yeah. look at just coverage snaps, the players that got at least 100 coverage snaps, year one for – uh, for Sark, he ended up having it was tw- only person that had more than twelve percent of their snaps in man was Jade Barron at seventeen. It all the other eleven were twelve percent or less. That bumped up to last year. You had all twelve guys that had more than hundred coverage snaps. It, they all played man between fourteen to twenty five percent of the time. Mm. And if you look at overall just as a team, if you add up the amount of coverage snaps of guys, when you take those guys that all had a hundred coverage snaps, went from. Twenty six fifty six to thirty six sixteen, almost a thousand more coverage. Are those DBs or just uh, all, uh, defenders? all Counting also, yeah, just defenders. Yeah, okay. defenders. you line in too, and uh, but it's a rate going up of over thirty six percent more men. They want to play more than they did the year before, yeah. so you see it's substantially growing. And then the amount of times, like you look across the board, you had nine guys play 19% or more man last okay. season when the previous season it was 11 of the 12 played 12% or less. Well, we, so we got it's a our, big jump.
2: Sorry, Matt. Uh, we got our question answered, though, last year, Rod, and I remember asking Sark, it, might have, it was either a preseason news conference, like when they opened camp oh, yeah. or I first week of the season, mm-hmm. to, to answer our offseason question, how are you going to fix the defense? you going to do it with coverage or front? Mm-hmm. Pressure or change? coverage, which one? And Sark? Said, basically, yeah, it's going to be coverage. It's going to be coverage.
3: Which, actually, like the coverage wasn't great last year. What really improved was the pressure on the front, yeah. the defensive line, team. right? And them deciding to get more creative in how they applied that pressure with some of the blitz schemes. Actually, in coverage, that's where Texas was most susceptible. Right, right. was in coverage so I think there's so much room for even more growth on defense mm-hmm. actually because mm-hmm. now the coverage actually improves with the pressure now coming I because I do think they played more man playing man Nick Saban was Nick Saban still is he was like he's not with us anymore Nick Saban <laughs> is a huge proponent of man a huge advocate of man says it's the best coverage in all of football and he's right and he said the problem with it is you know, most teams don't have the athletes to be able to play man and exactly. man across the board he said Bama can do it LSU can do it Ohio State can do it Texas can do it. Yeah. Texas is actually Getting one of those schools point, that yeah. should be able to get the kind of athletes that can just play straight up man-to-man, even if teams know you're going to do it. So that's why Sark, he understands coming from Nick Saban, that system. USC is probably one of those other teams, too. Don't get me talking about Lincoln Riley's defense. But I digress. So they should have those athletes. So for Texas, it's the best best way for Texas to adapt to— any of the uh, offensive force multipliers and cheat codes they use, I'm playing man. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best defense versus RPOs. Yeah, all right. It's the best defense. Honestly, trying to match up with only thing that really can. I guess, kind of circumvent the, man, the the rules of man. This is kind of why Texas was susceptible last year to it. Those bunch formations and being able to make a new read and react to routes rather yeah. than reroute them, Texas got just annihilated a ton last yeah. year on that. And I think it's because young DBs weren't familiar with the system. Hopefully yeah, they this year it. they're more familiar with the system. But there's no doubt. Bunch formation, empty formation, inside cuts like slants, post routes, uh, glance routes, Texas had a ton of issues with those. And every team that utilized them uh, – basically was able to
1: execute yeah. them and that's well what those Texas. are done to beat man yeah. because you to yeah, yeah, exactly because like if you don't have great chemistry and don't know your buddy uh-huh. coverages and just sometimes like the way you would talk about you and Greg Brown able to read a play and end up being a pick six just because on the fly y'all communicate and understand who's taking who. Well, when you have these different modern bunches it's a lot harder to get those things distinguished immediately at the line of scrimmage and cleanly have four guys crossing each other up and staying step for step It's just modern scheming so hardcore. You look at Texas though, the man coverage last season, of course, Ryan Watts was basically he grades out by far as the best. Only allowed a 53 pass NFL passer rating in man coverage last season. And now Michael Taff, if technically he was the best, he had 114 coverage snaps, 29 of which were in man and gave up zero receptions. But also Jalen Ford, NFL passer rating against him in man coverage of just 66.7. Overshown and Texas losing Anthony Cook. Those were the number three and four at seventy for Cook and seventy seven for Overshone. So you gotta replace those, but still getting back your main guy in Ford and main guy in Watts, that's really good to have retention there.
2: To your point, what you just said a minute ago, Rod, I mean it's every coverage. I mean, whether you're a you're a cover two team, you're a cover three team, you you know, your match quarters, your man every every coverage is susceptible to something. It yes. just it just depends on Do you have the personnel and the ability to go beat it? And I think one of the things we'll look back on, I think when Texas fans see Xavier Hutchinson get drafted in the next few days, Mm -hmm. like, oh, man, it was just a damn good wide receiver that that beat you on. He was. Some of that stuff.
3: He was, but he was. It was also a great game plan yeah. by Matt Campbell and Hunter Decker. You go look at. They were actually the first levels. They were one of the first teams to use a ton of the bunch formation against Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, the completion percentage for Hunter Decker's it was it was upwards of seventy five percent. When yeah. he was throwing toward a bunch formation versus that, and I I so I think for Texas the three things I would work on the DBs. They got to work on being able to decipher bunch formations better. They got to work on defending inside cuts and have inside leverage. Even when you're in pattern match cover four, I think a lot of times when they were in pattern match cover four, they were like, "All right, I got to be head up or outside leverage because essentially I'm a." Uh, my basic responsibility is I'm covering the quarters. No, mm-hmm. you're not. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a zone. It's a matchup zone. Yes. So actually, you need to be inside leverage. Yeah, you can still have your responsibility covered, but you need to be inside leverage, ready for the inside cut. So they killed Texas last year because they weren't ready for the inside cuts, and they also hurt Texas with a lot of empty teams and run enough empty versus Texas. In my opinion, you got a dual threat quarterback. You want to run a ton of empty versus Texas. And I think Bama probably ran more than anybody, and Bama ate Texas alive with the empty formation. Once they started yep. using it, yeah, and they started using it late. They fixed yeah it out late that it works then other t- and then UTSA copied it too mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, Jeff Traylor went after it too so they're just uh, there are four things and we obviously all offseason, we can get deep yeah. into it that really are, or really made Texas in my opinion vulnerable based on their coverage tendencies but like you said they're yep. a cover four beaters they're beaters for everything mm-hmm. you need football investigators out there high football IQ players that understand all right this is how teams are trying to attack me in this coverage and yes, like you said
1: with, the, with the growth, happen over and over that you were talking about Hutchinson Iowa State was the same thing that beat you deep t- against TCU it was like you had the few different games where you had repetitive issues within the coverages and being able to run multiple guys through the levels and blur the lines between the two
2: the two the two things i think about uh the the, the touchdown the Warner touchdown in the K-State game oh yeah and the Quentin Johnson touchdown where he was wide open in the TCU game Iowa State
1: game. the drop by Hutchinson uh,
2: those were like the the little uh Burst routes, yeah, the burst routes, yeah. At least a
3: hesitation if,
1: slant.
2: Yes. Yeah, so goes through calls. the Those two are, levels. Those are that, that is a that is a perfect cover four beater because if you the the one time I clearly remember Texas running it was against TCU Tom Herman's last year. You go look at the touchdown Brendan Eagles scored right before the half. Oh, that yeah. was a burst route. It was. That's a perfect cover. I do f- remember this? Yes.
3: Yeah. we love that route. It's a perfect up.
2: cover for a beater. Yeah,
3: and they still, I believe, Lincoln Riley's getting given credit for it to popularize it. Yeah. But yeah, it is a perfect cover for. For first of all, match quarters because match quarters is all based on when the receiver and where the receiver declares. If there's a miscommunication about where the receiver mm-hmm. declared, if he declared uh, to your zone or my zone then we're going to have a wide open guy yeah, and how back. often times last year we had wide open guys a couple of times running wide open that was usually cuz miscommunication in the pattern match he thought you know he was in my zone i thought he
2: was yeah. in my zone and that's blurring
3: here. those lines in
2: those yeah. zones yeah. Yeah. yeah you'll
3: get a, i think you'll get a lot more of
1: that
2: um, too. i want to make one point real quick and then we'll talk draft uh, the point i want to make rod when you're talking about you know having a, uh, a variety of guys on your defensive line I think there are going to be times I'm thinking about that end spot opposite of Baron Sorrell because mm-hmm. Baron Sorrell is a proven commodity at this point. Yeah, and, and PK still doesn't have like the true hybrids that he wants, but that doesn't mean you can't have impactful guys on the edge. I just think there's going to be some games where it's more to your advantage to use a guy like, like an Ethan Burke, who's a better pass rusher than it seems like those other guys are. That's fair. But there's going to be games where you might want a thicker body like a Justice Finkley or Jamon Tapp in there than Ethan Burke where he might be able to get washed inside or kicked out really easily mm-hmm. if you're playing a team that they do run a ton of outside zone.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. They ball it. Yeah. Situationally. Yeah. Match- We've talked about a while that we think Texas is getting deep enough where they can become kind of a matchup-based defense if they believe they have more than, you know, I was a six starters in the secondary. And that's another thing, too, about the secondary. I wonder, last year, we didn't see much of a dying package at all. I don't even remember really any. I'm sure there was some out there, very small we We talked about with
2: with Mo Blackwell. They were running like some big dime. Yeah,
3: and I did see, I think it's Tech was the only game I remember. They ran some three high safety looks against Tech for some reason. I, I, situationally, schematically, got to go find out exactly why it was. But that was the only game I remembered. My point is, since now you love Keaton Crawford and you know Catalan's going to be joining, you know you got Jaron Thompson, I do wonder if they'll start running some dime packages because you're deep now in the defensive backfield. You got you six, seven deep now, you believe, in the defensive backfield. Mm-hmm.
2: Potentially middle field safety might be the best way to keep Jalen Catalan healthy the whole year.
3: Oh, and that's a good point, too. And then they got your boy Mo Black
2: because if you have Jalen, if you have Jalen Catalan, Jalen Catalan's so good, like we saw him at Arkansas be really good. But man, if you got him on the the, on the like as a boundary safety where he's he's crashing down against the run, or God forbid at the nickel where he's just throwing his body around, Mm -hmm. like that's not at this point in his career. You're working against yourself at that point. Like I I need Jaylen, want to see him more at the I need Jalen Catalan on the field. I just need him healthy.
3: You're trying to like field that field side though where he's mostly going to end up as your deep high safety Yeah. Where yeah. he won't have collisions. Yeah. Fewer collisions is what you're it's trying like to do.
2: It's like, as an Astros fan, I remember this when Lance Berkman was playing in the outfield and they were like, we got to get him. We got to get this Bagwell thing figured out. We got to get him on the infield because he's gonna run into walls and hurt himself, <laughs> and we're gonna miss him for a year. That's a good point. Like, just gotta—we're protecting him from himself at yeah. this point.
3: Yeah, no, no, I'm with you, and there, yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, I think you're right. I think if you believe Keen Crawford is being, you know. A guy that demanding starter reps. If he's that guy's earned starter reps, that's something you can consider, man. Mm-hmm. Playing some some dime. If you especially if you're not sure about that other off ball linebacker with Jalen Ford, you can go there. Or if you can go you love your defensive line, you can go three, two, six, or you can go a four, one, six, whatever you want to do. But and like
2: you said, with that other linebacker, it's just matchup based and situational.
3: Exactly. You go up against a team. You got some. You got some air raid teams now back in the Big that might want to chunk it. Mm-hmm. You got some teams that actually do want to chunk it, and they're not a running team. Cross dressing as a it passing helps team. you.
2: Helps you. That's an that's an Anthony Hill game.
3: Exactly. There you go. And if you're facing a you K
2: State or a Baylor, that's a David Bend You already know the deal.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's talk draft. Let's do it. I'm so glad Bijan's going in the first round because we stop get to talking about all these things like oh. To be the first first round offensive player since Vince Young, the first offensive non-quarterback since Cedric Benson. By the way, Matt and I had to look this up before the show started. First Big 12 running back to go in the first round since Adrian Peterson. That's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wild it to think is. about. And the Big 12s produced running backs. Well, uh,
3: it makes that makes sense first of all the devaluation of the running back position, so fewer getting drafted with those premium picks really high in the first round. But also the Big 12, you know, because of its air raid influence really became a passing league for mm-hmm. Long time. Some people still think it is. It ain't. Uh, but they came back pasty for a while. So you didn't have. You had running back by committees everywhere. You didn't really have workhorse backs as much mm-hmm. as you get. So yeah. that makes sense.
2: um Bijan's going to the first round. Rod, yeah, I, right. I think if the the Eagles are in a position to take him at ten, if they want to,
3: Oh. it'd be beautiful. Because
2: here. this is why this is why you collect all this draft capital, and, and really. They, they can legit, since they were in the big game last year, they can make the argument that, yes, we believe we are one piece away, and Bijan is that versatile piece. Let's just go ahead and take him at 10. If it's
3: a luxury it's, pick for
1: them. Yes.
2: If, and and when, you, when you play for the Super Bowl, you do have the option of getting some luxury picks. And you've got multiple first-round picks, by the way.
1: And you have a guy in Miles Sanders that you wouldn't or no about. no. You they got, got Rashad Penny. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, like, instead of re-signing a guy to a second contract, oh, yeah, you, you let that money go out the door, and now you're getting even less money towards your salary cap, and you replace him with a guy that's much better.
2: If the Eagles don't take him at 10, I think probably Detroit at 18 we'll is Well, go
3: before it, that, because Atlanta at 8 right now. <laughs> Vegas is saying okay. that they got the best odds of drafting Bijan. That's the one I was going to ask you, you eight about, because
2: they – They've got a lot of needs, the Falcons do.
3: Yeah, but man, Arthur Smith he Arthur Smith loves the run game. Yes, he does. He's really creative with this run game stuff. Remember he came from Tennessee, he, he loves Tennessee Beyonce. forever. So he wants a kind of a dominant running game. And is it too. is
2: it a deal where I'm thinking about I'm like, is that division just so bad that the Falcons are like, dude, we're we can be like Eight and nine, and go win this thing. And they, they have, have a young one last,
3: last year. Too. Desmond Ritter, I believe, is doing the Yeah, be Desmond Ritter's gonna be their guy. Yeah. Yeah. Best friend for a young Drake QB. London at wide Running receiver. Down. Maybe
2: you just build this thing. Kyle with Desmond, R- Desmond yep. Ritter, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and Bijan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: those <laughs> are all <laughs> butts in the seats. So it, it makes more sense yeah, now that I'm tickets. talking it out
2: than it does on the surface.
1: Well, and yeah. I mean, I, I remember as a freshman, <laughs> I was like, some team's gonna trade. When Bijan was a freshman, I was like, some team's gonna trade up and get this guy in the top 10. He's that freakish of a Like, he can step in and maybe be. The best weapon right there with Christian McCaffrey is all-purpose back. So Atlanta, like that's how amazing he is.
2: Atlanta at eight, and maybe the Falcons trade back and feel like they can still get him.
3: They could, yeah.
1: Philly,
2: Philly at ten.
3: And Philly may try to trade back and get him. Yeah, and then yeah. you have got
2: Detroit at eighteen. And I think, I think, I think if you're, I'm a Cowboys fan, I like Roshan to the Cowboys as much as I love Bijan. I don't want the Cowboys giving up draft capital, so. If the the Cowboys wanted to trade up, Buffalo is one of those teams that's been tied to Bijan forever. If Mm -hmm. they wanted to trade up, uh, Philly and they want to use their second pick to try to trade up. I think you got to get ahead of Detroit at eighteen. Yeah,
3: he won't him. be there. Yeah, the Cowboys, if they want him, they got, they got to trade up. Look like
2: all these Cowboys him. fans are like, oh, what are you, uh, you take him at 26? I'm like, guys, he ain't going to be there at 26.
3: Yeah, if you're Buffalo, you got to trade up to get him. Um, yeah, so most people believe at this point Bijan's going to end up being drafted somewhere in the lottery, if you will, of the NFL draft. And, yeah, I mean, he, he defies the traditional, what has become the accepted mm-hmm. logic about not drafting running backs high, which, by the way, I believe – You don't draft running backs uh, all that high. But to Matt's point, he is more than just a running back. And I even heard Dan Patrick say last week that he had uh, a scout, uh, no, sorry, an actual executive in the NFL he was talking to, that said they would like to use him like Debo Samuel. I thought about Jeff Howe. And yeah. I was like, I swear, Jeff Howe, I said on the show, I said, Jeff Howe was the first person I, that I ever heard say, oh, he could play slot receiver. Mm-hmm. And now you're hearing everybody in the league say the same thing. Like, I was like, oh, he can be Christian McAuliffe or Alvin McCamara. And now you've got people saying, oh, actually, no, he can be Debo Samuel, meaning receiver first. You know he what I mean? Um, that so he's good. At, and I, that, I was like, I thought about Jeff. I was like, Jeff said that was, that was like part of your initial scouting report of him coming out of high mm-hmm. school. It was like, I think he played that. You said the H position, because mm-hmm. it was Tom Herman's H yeah. position. And you said he could play it. And that is a true value. You know, in our society, if you want, like, uh, say you want a cell phone, people think cell phones are expensive. They're actually not. Cell phones are really, really cheap. If you want just a cell phone, well, if you want a smartphone, they're really expensive because they have all the smart capabilities. And you can go online and, you know, you can run your damn life through a smartphone, through a cell phone. You can make calls. You can make texts. Most providers these days don't even charge you. For calls and texts. They charge you for data. Yeah, That's Bijan. The, the, the running back position has been devalued because it's just calls and texts. Mm-hmm. That's a regular running back. Bijan is a smart back. Mm-hmm. All right? He's smart, capable. He can get online. Like that. That's why you pay more for that guy. So I would break my rule if I was Philly or if I was Atlanta. I would break the rule about running back just for Bijan. It, it probably will come back and bite you. And if, it, it probably will. I think you should, you should only draft Bijan if you're. it's a luxury pick for you. Yes. They're like four or five teams. It's a luxury pick for them. And the Eagles are probably that primary pick. But like I said... I told my wife this when we got married. At 40 years old, I got married for the first time. i never believed in marriage. I still can shoot all types of holes through <laughs> y'all's modern, westernized version of marriage and what it means. It's a 50-50 shot at being successful. But I told her, I said, I believe in you. Like, you. I'm marrying you. I, you are who I believe in. I don't necessarily believe in the institution. I don't necessarily believe in drafting running backs really high. I do believe in Bijan. So I yes. would draft Bijan that high, not a running back.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing why I was talking about earlier. Like his representation <laughs> needs to not brand him as a running back. He needs to be an all purpose weapon. Running backs get paid uh, the top running backs in the, in all of football. You have sixteen million to McCaffrey, fifteen Kamara, fifteen Zeke, twelve Cook, twelve Henry. Look at top paid wide receivers, thirty million, Tyreek Hill. Devontae Adams, twenty eight million. You're getting paid more than twice the money. And if you're talking about this is the guy at this position that can get production on the outside, one of the few, the way that a a wide receiver can – yet he's playing the running back position that also can add value to you. You should be able to be branded as an offensive weapon and should be able to get paid at the top tier of offensive weapons, not at the top tier of something that you aren't like. You aren't like all those other running backs. It's unfair to running backs to be clumped in that way to where Bijan really should break the mold and not call himself a running back and be called an offensive weapon and want to be paid as one of the top offensive weapons, which are wide receivers. What will happen, though.
3: Nope. <laughs> Tell you can start breaking the mold yeah, though. you can take it. Like Jimmy Graham already tried that And yeah. the NFL's like no you the, the NFL's keep it. not like breaking mold As
1: Tony, Jackson, Tony
2: Gonzalez tried it Yeah they don't time, let you yeah.
1: break molds <laughs> uh, got a salary. Check. Still gotta keep on trying
2: we'll, re- we'll recap the draft next week Because I know we gotta go right now Rod real quick Uh Roshan Johnson At this point I think he's a day two pick It sounds like he's a day two pick uh,
3: Yeah a lot of people Have him as one of the Top five running backs I think Rojo's one of those guys That works for any team Any team could use a Rojo mm-hmm. Like he's just a power back And they, and he's the best power back In his draft That's big Quote mean. unquote best Big back yeah.
2: The guy that came in As a quarterback recruit Is now the best Quote unquote Big back in the draft
3: Shows you the modern age Of football yeah. Don't get a lot of big backs And Bijan technically Is a
2: big back At 215 Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean he, he can, All you need is a game Like seven pounds He's a big back Um Rojo Day Two overshone? We thinking late Day Two, early Day Three?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking Day Three. Maybe somebody falls in love with Overshown. I know, uh, was it um, what's his name? Was it Louis Riddick? Yeah, who said basically that if I, I, yeah. if I was a GM, basically I would want to Overshown on my roster. Uh, I know Dan Quinn loves him because. Positionless football is Dan Quinn's kind of that's his theme. All right, that's what he believes in. And DeMar Oshawn is one of the best positionless kind of football players in the draft. So I, I think the Cowboys may take a look at him. Actually, a lot of Longhorns work for the Cowboys, strangely enough, this year. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Uh, would make sense because you've still got a you know Leighton Vander Esch isn't going to be there forever. Yeah, you so signed two, f-
3: but what one year deal? They I think it was a two two year I think deal. It was a two year fully
2: guaranteed for like eight or ten something yeah. like that. Uh, and then Coburn Ojomo Day three at some point.
3: Uh Yeah, Coburn's going to go late just because, like I said, I, we, we talked about this earlier, right, the yeah. plunger thing. He's going to go late, but don't worry, Coburn's going to for sure make somebody's roster.
2: The uh, just the age thing, I think. You, yeah, you,
3: people just yeah. love—honestly, the, st- Ojo, Ojo was going to go before Coburn.
2: Yeah, the whole package with Moro was impressive. Because you can impressive. play him
3: multiple shakes. Play him on the edge, play him inside. And, I mean, this is a guy that was a fifth-year senior, and he's 21? He was yeah, was crazy. He yeah. was like 16 when he enrolled or something. How the hell does that happen?
2: He was 17 when he enrolled at Texas. He didn't turn 18 until right before the eighteen season I started. He ended up being
3: here five years, and this just 21 when he leaves. That's – that is that's, so NFL teams love
1: stories like yeah. that. And he had a full year of college when he was 17. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: All right, uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll uh, recap it next week and keep talking about Longhorn football. we got the whole offseason to talk about it now, so we'll uh, we'll keep it rolling. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge.
3: Anytime, brother.
2: For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104 AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B and Mike Harge. Each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz.
0: MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over,
3: guys. All Stars 4 is finally here.
0: And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns two four seven. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on It's called The Rest Is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest Is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big
1: Meets.